All right, I'm excited. We have a really special treat tonight. The uh, One of the pastors of the church, he's a youth pastor. His name is Jordan. We asked to give the message, and this is going to be awesome. Youth group, stand up and give it up for Jordan. Come on. Awesome. So, this is going to be great. Uh, Jordan, you want to come on up? I'm going to pray for you, then we'll get rolling. Message. So Lord, thank you so much for the word you've put in Jordan for us tonight. And I just say right now, I place my heart and mind in a posture of receiving. And I uh, thank you for how we're going to all be built up tonight. We just bless Jordan and just release your fire in Jesus' name. Your fire be all over him in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. How are you guys doing? Good. Ex- excited to be here. Yeah. Who came from Oxford? Would you guys? Wow. Thank you guys so much for coming. It's an honor to have you guys here. As you said, my name is Jordan. I'm the youth pastor here. And, and before we start, I just wanted to say something really quick. Uh, a couple weeks ago, our senior pastor, Van, had me stand up in front of everybody in the middle of a service, and it was kind of embarrassing. And he said, Jordan's a monster youth pastor. So since I have the mic now, I wanted to return the favor. Could you stand up for us really quick, Van? Are you clap for Van? Yes. Yeah. And, 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 and seriously, though, I just wanted to say, like, the only reason I can be a monster youth pastor is because you're such a monster senior pastor. Like, your leadership is incredible, and, and I'm just so honored to be, to be part of the VCNW family, and, and it's a privilege to learn under you, and, and it's been great to be here. So thank you so much. And I want to say uh, to Vineyard Northwest people, I love you guys. You're so cool. Um, Holly, my, my wife Holly and I have been coming to this church for nearly two years now and it's been awesome like we, we just love being here and there's so many amazing things that God's doing here and, and you know I, when I walked in the first time I was just blown away to see a church that the adults come up front and worship like I'd never experienced that before so I, I just love what's going on here and it, it's so great to be here and also just really quick before I get started I want to shout out to my wife Holly She's wonderful. She's amazing. We've been married for a year and one week today. So just celebrated our anniversary on Easter. It's super great. She's wonderful and amazing and probably a better youth pastor than I'll ever be. So just don't tell Van. Um, So tonight I want to talk about what I believe to be the key to living the Christian life. And not even just the Christian life, really. I, th- I think it's the key to life. Um, and and I, wanna, it's not, I don't think it's, it's miracles or the supernatural. And I think those things are good. And we see them happen a lot. And that's, that's really exciting. And I also don't think it's you know, living a life that exemplifies the fruit of the Spirit. And, and those are great things, too. You know, rep- representing living a Spirit-filled life and that sort of thing. And I, I don't think it's extreme Bible knowledge. If you get to know me, you'd know that I'm really passionate about the Bible and, and, and I love to read it and study it and learn about it. Um, but I don't think it's, it's knowing everything you possibly can about the Bible. And I don't think it's perfect church attendance, believe it or not. Um, now, I, I believe all these things good, but I, are good, but I, don't, I just don't necessarily believe that they're the key to life. I, I think the key to life is intimacy with God. Intimacy with God the Father. Um, and I, I think that everything else, especially those things I just mentioned, maybe excluding the perfect church attendance, 
I think those all flow out of intimacy. I think they're a byproduct of being in such close proximity with God that you just can't help but be like him. Um, I, I, I think that I think it's true that we, we start to look like those that we allow to have influence over us. The people we spend the most time with, that's who we look like and act like and, and that sort of thing. And I, I think that's totally the case with God. When we get around God, we can't help but be like him. You guys agree with that? All right, good. We're, we're still rolling together. And, and I believe um, in order to have this intimacy with God, I think there, there has to be a level of pursuit on our behalf, or on our, on our side. I, I, I think that we have to pursue God just as he pursues us. In First John, it says we love because he first loved us. He, he's been pursuing us since the creation of the world. And I think that the, the key to life is to, to return that pursuit, to, to, to go after him um, just as he goes after us. And, and I think that all intimacy is this way. Uh, I think about my wife. We've been married for a year and a week, and and just because we're married, it doesn't mean that you know everything's great and we we have a perfect marriage and and that sort of thing. Like it, it takes work. Who's who's married in here? I think all of you know that, right? Would you can keep your hand up if you agree? It takes work. Great, fantastic. Like the, there takes a level of pursuit from each of us to 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 have a good marriage, to have a happy marriage, and. You know, some examples of pursuing my wife. You know, she's, she, on, on the, the love languages, she's high physical touch. So she, we need to hold hands and, and cuddle and kiss and stuff. And that's just during church. And, <laughs> and, uh, and she, she's big on sitting together and watching chick flicks and cuddling and, and watching cheesy shows like The Bachelor and, and I'm not always into it, but, you know, most of the time I am. But, but sometimes that takes a little effort. That takes a little pursuit on my part to, to like, oh, my gosh, I'd rather just put my headphones in and watch something stupid on YouTube. Um, and, and another, she has this crazy quirk where she enjoys chores. It's the, it's the weirdest thing. I didn't think it existed. She, she actually considers cleaning a hobby. And, and, and it, it, it relieves stress for her to clean. And that's hard to keep up with. Uh, especially when you're someone, when I'm, I'm a person that I say I thrive in chaos. Um, I, my, my office is always messy. My, I have, we call it my pile in the room. That, that's just where I throw everything. And then once it engulfs the whole room, she makes me clean it. And, and, and so a big way that I try to pursue my wife is when, you know, I want to just sit down after a day's work and, and watch Netflix for a little bit before she gets home. Oh, Got to do the dishes. Cause I know that she'd be so much happier when, when, uh, when she gets home, if the dishes were clean, and she wouldn't have to de-stress, she'd already be de-stressed. Um, so, so it, there's a, a level of effort that's taken. You guys tracking with me? Cool. So, to explore this idea of intimacy a little bit more, I want to I want to tell you a little bit more about myself, a little bit about my story, um, and I also want to talk about the Bible, share about Jesus. So he's a pretty cool guy. I don't know if you if you've heard of him. Um, is that, is that okay with you guys? Cool. I hope so, because I have the mic, so we're going to do it either way. But first, I'm going to pray. So, Father, thank you so much for everybody that's here and everybody that drove a ways here. Would you just bless tonight and bless what, 
what you want to speak, Lord, would you just, we just open our hearts to you. Would you just speak tonight? Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've had a bit of an odd spiritual upbringing. Uh, In fact, most of the time I refer to myself as a denominational orphan. Because I don't exactly know where I fit in. As as you can tell, I've I've kind of landed in a a charismatic church. A very niche community, the vineyard. um, As I learned as I was trying to find a church to work in. And the nearest one that was hiring, uh, before they were hiring here, was five hours away. So it's, it's, it's a bit of an odd place to land. But I was born into a Catholic family. Um, my, my family was, I guess, I mean, we were a Catholic family. I, had, I was baptized as a baby, did First Communion, all of that stuff. Um, and I, I went to Catholic grade school for a while. And in third grade, my family moved away. Um, from where from we were really close to our church, and we, and we moved away to a suburb of Dayton called Springboro, and it was you know forty five minutes away from our church, so we just kind of stopped going. And so from third grade, after attending church every weekend, we just go to not going at all for about two years. And then in fifth grade, this really really weird thing happened, where my dad, who I had only seen in church when he married my mom at my first communion when my baby sister got baptized, woke me up on a Sunday morning and said, hey, get up and get dressed, we're going to church. And you know, you know how it is like in the morning when you get woken up and you're not expecting it and you're kind of discombobulated and confused. And I was even more confused because he's saying we're going to church. And then on top of that, I said, are you sure? Because you're wearing jeans. And I was not quite there yet. And he said, yeah, yeah. I was like, do I need to get dressed up? Because I'd never spent a Sunday without my clip-on tie. And, uh, and he said, no, just put on regular clothes, you're fine. And, and so we get in the car, and still very confused, such an odd Sunday morning to this point. We, we pull into this parking lot, and it's not a church. Or at least I didn't think it was. I, I'm used to, you know, churches that look like castles and have beautiful statues and, and you know, beautiful stained glass windows. And we pull into the parking lot of a building. And... It, it wasn't anything special. There were no crosses. It, it was even more plain than our building that we're in. It's like, I looked at my dad and I said, are you sure we're here? And he said, yeah, this is it. This is the address. And then we walk in and, and it gets even weirder. Everybody, it, nobody's dressed up. Everybody's happy to be there. And, <laughs> and then we go into this auditorium and there's instruments on the stage and there's no pews. It's modern carpet. There's no window. I, I'm just like, what is happening? This isn't church. And, uh, and then, to make it worse, the pastor walks on stage, and he's wearing jeans and a sweater. Not a robe, not like, not like a weird dress or any kind of special sash. He just looks like a normal guy. So I'm sitting here like, what is happening? We've, we've had good music. People are excited to be here, and I don't have to dress up. Like, sign me up. Um, and then it got even weirder when communion happened. I'm used to, you know, having to get up and be very quiet and, and solemn and, and walk up and, like, you know, the one time you get to drink wine and uh, you got this fancy goblet and this little wafer they call the host. And, and they just pass this plate of broken crackers and a cup of juice. It's like, what is this? My dad looks at me. Are we supposed to take this? I said, dude, I don't know. Everything's been so different to this point. I've got no idea. But, but something about it worked, and, and from 
you know, that point on, my family still attends this church. The next weekend we came back and, and brought the rest of my mom and my sister. And, we, you know, they've been going there ever since. Um, and this, this church, it was, it was a non-denominational church, um, kind of like a church of Christ root. So it, was, it, it wasn't a charismatic church. Um, and so I, was, I grew up as a cessationist and didn't even know it. Um, I, I, I didn't know that like God did miracles in our time. And in fact, I didn't know it was an option. Well, I wasn't, I didn't believe this by choice. It was just never presented to me that God might want to actually speak to me and through me and do amazing things in my time. I just read the Bible and said, well, Hey, Jesus is the son of God and the apostles were his best friends. So of course they've got special privileges or whatever. And, And no one had ever really told me about that. So it was just kind of my natural disposition. It was okay. God doesn't do that. And then, you know, fast forward a while, I, my, after my senior year of high school, I decided I wanted to, I, I felt called to youth ministry, and I end up at Cincinnati Christian University. It's just about 20 minutes from here. And, and that's kind of when my cessationist by coincidence turned into cessationist by choice. As, as I sat in these classes, and, and professors would say things like, well, you know, that happened back then. And uh, you just weren't born in the right time. So, sorry about your luck. That, that's, that's a hard one. And uh, should have been born 2,000 years earlier. And, and so that was kind of the environment that I came into at school. And then, um, I was also, at the same time, having this really weird mix of emotions. Of having like a really great time making new friends. And, and having new experiences. And this newfound freedom of not having to call my parents when I was going to be a few minutes late. And, and you know all the wonderful perks of being in college and living an hour from your family. Um, but also at the same time I felt so spiritually dead. And it was weird because I was reading the Bible more than ever. I was learning more about God. I knew more about God than I ever had in my entire life. And I felt no connection to him at all. I felt like I, I was reading the Bible as a textbook. And only a textbook. There, there was no relationship. I wasn't talking to him. Like, because honestly, when you sit through you know, three hour and a half classes... And, you know, you're, you're learning all this history stuff and you're flipping through the Bible the whole time. Like, you feel like you're, you're connected, but, but really there, there, was no, there was no intimacy. I wasn't having any intimacy. And then, so, um, near the end of the first semester, I, 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 I go home for Thanksgiving break. And a few friends um, and some people I didn't, really didn't know, but they had been volunteers in my youth group when I was in middle school. They were there, and, and one of our old youth pastors named Ryan was there. And I'm sitting there, we're in a subway, and I'm, I'm eating my sandwich. There's probably like eight or nine of us. And just out of nowhere, I hear this girl who'd become a missionary. She said, I speak in tongues all the time. And I like probably spit out my food. <laughs> I, I was so concerned right, right off the bat because first year Bible student, I know everything about God and my professors are right. God doesn't do that anymore. Um... And then I went from concerned to very confused. I guess that, that seems to be a theme in my Christian life. I, I became very confused because no one else was concerned. <laughs> and so right after lunch, I immediately texted Ryan. 
And uh, I said, hey, so we should talk about this tongues business. And, and we got lunch like the next day or so. And he tells me, he says, yeah, Jordan, you know, I believe in tongues. I speak in tongues. And I believe God does this other stuff too. And I'm like, what the heck, man? You never told me about that. What's going on? And he shows me this, this long forgotten mysterious Bible passage called 1 Corinthians 12. And, uh, and I'm literally like sitting there reading through the Bible, just in my mind, just being blown. Like, why doesn't anybody talk about this? Like, this kind of feels important. This feels like something that probably should have come up sometime between fifth grade and senior year at church, right? Like, that's a long time. Like, did I just miss that week? Or, like, like and I was like, it, it feels like he's saying we should be doing this stuff and, and need to be doing this stuff. And we need to be, you know, I, I was like, so, ah, and, and like my worldview crumbled and I, had, I just had no idea. And, you know, he, he said, well, maybe you should just talk to God about it. I was like, Wow. Answer of the year. Great. And so he invited me over to his house. And Ryan does this really weird thing where he gets up at like 6 a.m. And he prays for about an hour almost every morning. And when he told me that, I wanted to puke. And I was like, are you serious? You're inviting me to pray with you for an hour? Like, how do... I thought, like, monks did that. How do you do that? Because I, I came from a Catholic background where the most I was praying was Our Father and Hail Mary... And I could do that in like 15 seconds, 10 if I was being really quick. And, and then, you know, once we kind of transitioned out of that, I, you know, a minute felt pretty good. Like that was, that was a lot of prayer. Um, and so I, I, I was still interested and in, in really, you know, kind of desiring this. And like I said, I was feeling spiritually dead. So I was looking for anything to, you know, kind of reboot me and, and I, I had to get up at 5.30 in the morning, and I drove over to Ryan's house, and it's freezing cold outside, so we, we sat in his living room, and it's a, pre, it's a pretty tiny living room, and, and he just starts praying out loud. I was like, wait, we're going to pray for an hour and out loud? And it took me about 20 minutes to realize that I was supposed to pray while he was praying. And, and, and he would, you know, sometimes he'd kind of pause, and like, he wouldn't, like, he'd kind of look at me. You know, like, you got anything? And then finally I got the hint that I was supposed to pray as well. And, sorry, I just saw my wife mimicking me. And so now I feel nervous about my hands. Um, Thanks, babe. So anyway, Jesus stuff. So we prayed for about an hour and 20 minutes. And it it was pretty cool, you know. And we were kind of talking, and then he stopped and he said, does this verse mean anything to you? And I I so wish that I remembered what verse it was. But I mean, that's how obscure this verse was. It wasn't like John 3.16. It was like, you know, the B-side of the Old Testament. It was was like, it was was one of those books that you're kind of like, is that really in the Bible? Uh, when it was like Lamentations or Habakkuk or whatever, one of, one of those like weird ones. And, and I was like, nope, this verse literally means nothing to me. And I didn't even know it was in the Bible. 
Um, and then five minutes later, another one of these crazy people that prays for an hour at 6 a.m. texted him and said, Hey, does this verse mean anything to you? And it was the exact same verse. And again, like this is the week of Jordan's mind just being blown wide open. And, and I, I, just, I was like, well, that doesn't happen on accident. Like the odds of that happening on accident are less likely than like God existing or something crazy. Um, so it, it, it was just nuts. And, and I left there feeling so excited, feeling reinvigorated and, and, and passionate again. And uh, so I went back to school and I decided I was going to take up this habit. I was going to get up in the morning, 630, because you know, I needed a little bit of sleep, still in college. And I'd walk around for about 45 minutes. I couldn't always quite stretch it into an hour. It was also winter in Cincinnati, so it cut me some slack. Um, but I would walk around my campus and I'd pray. And this one morning, I was quickly running out of things to pray for. And I was still, you know, a couple minutes from the dorm, so... I was, you know, in my, as I was praying, I said, you know, God, I saw Ryan do this. So if you really want to speak to me, would you just like give me a verse or something from the Bible to read? And in my head, I saw Psalm 139. And so I pulled out my iPhone 4, which was very old at the time and hadn't been updated in a long time because I'm lazy and I don't do those things. So it took forever for the, for the Bible app to open. And so while the Bible app is opening, you got the spinning wheel of death going. Um, I just kept praying. And, and I was kind of in a weird spot where I was making some decisions that weren't exactly congruent with the future pastor's lifestyle. And um, I, 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 was, I was still feeling kind of disconnected. And I, I just so longed to know God so intimately. And, and I just kind of started praying this prayer, like, God, you know me so well. You are everywhere that I am. Like, you know me when I stand up and when I sit down. And, and, if, and if you didn't know, that's basically how Psalm 139 starts. And, and as it opened, I was literally quoting the first verse of Psalm 139, and I just started bawling. Like, tears are freezing to my face. Whoa, not going to do that again. Tears are freezing to my face in the middle of Cincinnati winter. And, and I was like, wow, like God actually cares about me. And he actually wants to talk to me. And, and you know, at that point I was just like, let's go. And so from then on, I would end my prayer times by standing in this, this CCU's on a hill and it overlooks downtown Cincinnati. And there's just this it was so, I love downtown Cincinnati, and it's beautiful in the morning, right as the sun's coming up, and, and all the, the lights are still on. And so that's where I would end my prayer time. And I'd, I'd stand there, and I would, I'd pray. I, you know, I'd pray for the city, my friends, um, all that good Christian stuff we're supposed to do. And, and then I would say, God, if tongues exist, give it to me. And then I'd stand there like this. For about 15 minutes. And sometime between December 2013 and June 2014, I started speaking in tongues. But I'm not entirely sure exactly when it happened because, you know, just kind of a funny side note, I would stand there and I'd feel this thing like welling up and it felt like my tongue was swelling. And then it was about six months later when I met Luke Hazelmeyer um, and he said, why don't you just try to add sound when that happens? And, uh, and I did, and I started speaking in tongues that night. <laughs> um, 
But you see, this was like, this was my first step into intimacy with God. And in a matter of days, spending intentional time pursuing God took me from my spiritual lowest and most dead place to to the most alive I'd ever felt in my entire life. The the biggest spiritual high I had ever been on. And and it was new and exciting and and so great. And, And the crazy thing is, looking back, I can see every step of the way where God was pursuing me and he was trying to get my attention, whether it was at lunch when that, that missionary started talking about how she spoke in tongues all the time and, or, or how gracious Ryan was to, to open his home to me at 6 a.m. And, and, and share one of his most intimate times with God with me. Um, or you know, when he shared that random Old Testament verse to uh, when he... Psalm 139 and, and, and so on. And, and every time I responded by pursuing him back. With every, every, whether it was a question I asked or, or a verse that I read or, or a prayer that I prayed. Every, every, every pursuit God had for me, I took kind of one more step in. And one more step in, just a little bit closer and closer into him. So... We should probably talk about the Bible a little bit. I just untied my shoe. So Luke 2. This is Luke, the book of Luke, is one of my favorite Gospels. I, I think it's probably because it was one of the first classes I ever took. And this was one of the rare occasions where I had a, a professor that turned out to actually be like a secret vineyard person. Um, I actually just found that out like a month ago that he actually attends a vineyard church in uh, Cincinnati, but he was, he was, he was the most open-minded professor. He was the most exciting and he was, uh, you know, one of the younger guys, um, compared to all the older guys that were very, Holy Spirit got sucked up into the sky or whatever. Um, and, and so Luke to like, so the book of Luke that he kind of taught that class. It was one of my first ones I took and, and I just love this book. And I think there's a really cool story in here that we, we don't see in any other gospel. And, and if you notice, most of the time when we, we hear about Jesus in the Bible, it's either talking about like when he was a baby or like it fast-forwards to when he's 30. And there's really no in-between. And this is like the one place where it actually talks about that. So some of you might be familiar with it, but if you're not, I'll kind of give you a brief summary of what's, what's happening. See, Jesus and his entire family, like not just his mom and his dad and his brothers, but like this, their whole extended family, they're in town, they're in Jerusalem uh, to celebrate the Passover. And, uh, and, and they're there, and then they, when, when they leave, they go for about a day before they realize Jesus is missing. Um, they, they've, they've left, and they just kind of assumed, oh, he's probably with the cousins or whoever, um, but then, after about a day, they realize, oh, the Son of God is absent. And, uh, and so they start to panic, and they go back to Jerusalem, and it says they spend about three days, three days looking for him. Um, but man, could you imagine losing the Son of God? Like, you had one job. It was, I, I know, I'm sure that it... it when you don't know where your kid is, I'm sure it's like really hard. But when, when God literally sends an angel and says, hey, this is the guy, and then you lose him. Like, that's, I don't know. So I, I just imagine there's a little more pressure there. But anyway, in, uh, so here's what, here's what it says in Luke 2, uh, starting in 46. 
It says, three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents said, his, his parents, oh, sorry. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. And then Jesus responds, probably the greatest comeback of all time, and the, probably the only thing he could have said to not be grounded for a month. Um, here's what he says in the, in the next verse, 49. Jesus says, but why did you need to search, he asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? I must be close to my father. I must be in his presence. I must pursue intimacy with my father. I I think that statement, I feel like that's kind of meant to define kind of our understanding of, of how Jesus relates to God. And, and, and how we as his followers should relate to God. Because the Son of God says, I must be in my Father's house. How much more do we need to, to pursue intimacy and be in our Father's house? And then Luke 2 ends with this. It says, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. And I think this verse tells us exactly why we don't see much of Jesus growing up. We don't see much of him during his childhood. I think it's because not much was happening. I think this story is literally the highlight. Like, this is the most exciting thing that happened to Jesus as a kid. Is that he got lost for a couple days. And and I I think this verse makes it pretty clear that, that what Jesus was doing in that time between you know, being born and then having this amazing ministry was, you know, he was, he was getting to know his father. He was growing in favor. He, he was spending time with God and he was spending time with people. I think this verse literally means that as Jesus grew in age or grew in height, he just got wiser. Like there, there wasn't much more there. There wasn't, there wasn't, it wasn't glamorous. It wasn't exciting. It was just him chasing after God, getting to know God. And, you know, so he grew up and and he spent a lot of time with people and he spent a lot of time with God. And now I think that everything that Jesus does is fueled by intimacy with God. I think everything he does as an adult is is propelled by him spending time with his father. You know, he says, um, I only do what I see the father doing. Well, to do that, you have to spend time with your father to see what he's doing. Right? I I, I think that even even as an adult, we see just kind of these random verses thrown in there, and Jesus went off alone early in the morning. Or, you know, and, and it doesn't really tell us for how long or what he's doing. We just know eventually people found him. But I think it wasn't, it wasn't that exciting for us onlookers. He was just talking to God. He was just spending time with his dad. And, and, and I think while it's boring to us, maybe, like, I don't know about you guys, but how many of you want to watch a guy pray for an hour? <coughs> Sounds pretty lame. Um, 
But I think it, w- it meant everything to him. And I think when we do that, it, it means everything to us. Um, and we, and we, sometimes we do get a glimpse into what Jesus is doing. We, we know after the Last Supper, uh, Jesus takes his disciples into this garden. And, and he says, wait here and pray. I'm going to go pray. And he goes and prays. And he comes back and they're all asleep. And he says, you couldn't stay awake for an hour? What the heck? And then he does it twice. Like Jesus is spending so much time with God. Everything he does is driven by his connection with the Father. You guys following me still? Great. Something interesting um, I've learned this year, or that I've I've read this year. I started the year by reading 2,000 Years of Charismatic Christianity. And something really interesting that I've found in, in just about every revival is that it, it, it didn't just happen overnight. There's always, seemingly always, like three months of four-hour-a-night prayer meetings that are happening. Tons of worship set- sessions. Like people are giving up time to come together and, and pray. And I, I, they're, they're pursuing intimacy with God. And then he pours out and these just amazing things happen. And I, I think that that's even what happens at Pentecost. That Jesus gets sucked up into heaven and he says, just go wait and you'll, you'll know what to do when the time's right. And, and all the disciples come together and they just pray and they worship for a few days. And then the Holy Spirit's poured out. I think in that time they were, they were aligning with God. They were, they were pursuing him. They were following Jesus' model of spending time with God. I, I think it's just so crucial to everything that Jesus wants to do on the earth today. Now I think there is a danger um, in, in this kind of intimacy that, that it can become formulaic. I, I, I think it'd be really easy to hear me say, well, I want the benefit of more miracles in my life. So to do that, I'm going to spend time with God. Or I need more joy in my life. So to get to what I want, I'm going to spend time with God. Or I'm going to suffer through some prayer time so that this really cool thing can happen later on. Um, and and I, don't think, I don't think that's the... That's the right way of thinking. Um, I think we need intimacy with the Father for the sake of intimacy with the Father. I think our hearts need to come to a point where it doesn't matter if we do another miracle in Jesus' name. It doesn't matter if, if we ever you know, experience that breakthrough that we're looking for. But all that matters is that we get to spend time with our Father, the creator of the universe. That's... That's it. That's the stuff right there. And I think the cool thing about that is that everything flows from that. It, it, it's almost like a catch-22 because I would say that as you grow in intimacy, even if you're not expecting anything, you should only expect good things. You should only expect more miracles. You should only expect more joy. You should only expect more breakthrough. You should only expect your marriage to get better. Whatever it is. Because that's just who God is. He just can't help but be that way. And when you spend time with him and you're intentional about pursuing him and spending time with him, you can't help but be that way either. So I'm, I'm going to finish up with a story. So if the band can hear me, you guys can come back out. By the way, weren't they so good? Did you guys just clap for the band? Man, you guys killed it. It's hard to follow a Billy Graham documentary in an amazing worship session like that. Um, so I, I want to tell you about this time in my life. It, it, was, it was, again, it was throughout college for me. I, I went into Bible college feeling like I had this calling on my life. I'm supposed to go into youth ministry. And 
And I, I was super passionate and excited about it. And then I got there and I was kind of let down by what I saw by some of my peers. I saw a lot of people that said, I have this calling from God and, and the heavens opened up and whatever. It, it was a little more laid back than that because we didn't believe in that stuff. Um, but, but everyone's like, I'm supposed to be doing this. I am supposed to lead the next crossroads. I'm supposed, you know, what, I'm going to lead a giant mega church. Um, and then those same people were sleeping in on Sunday, playing a bunch of video games and, and not invested anywhere, not involved in anything. And, and they were doing the bare minimum. And I kind of looked at that and I was like, I don't want to be like that. Like, I don't want to treat my calling that way. I feel like God's got a mission for me, so I'm going to go do everything I can to make that happen. So I, I set out at the end of my freshman year. I was, I was determined I'm going to work in a church or as many churches as I can between now and the time that I graduate so that I leave here with a job. Because um, so, uh, so many people at, at Bible college will, will go in, do all this schooling, um, and then come out and either just not have a job or get a job in a field that they didn't want to work in and then sometimes never actually get into ministry. And so I, I was just not about to let that happen. So, so I went out and I ended up at this, at this one church in Cincinnati. I was there for about a year working in this awesome student ministry as an intern. And then after a year, I went to another church back up in Dayton in Springboro. Um, it's called Southwest Church. It was an awesome church. And, and I was there for a summer. And then after that, went to another church back here in Cincinnati for a year. And all the while, there was, I, I think I had two Sundays that I wasn't in a church um, between that time. So I, I was pretty busy, and, I, and I, was, I was reaching my goals. And that, that brings me to the beginning of my senior year. And I was actually interviewing with this church that was out of state. And it was, it was super exciting. It was everything that I hoped it would be and wanted it to be. And, uh, and it, it, was, it was really cool. Holly and I, we were engaged at the time. Uh, she was going to graduate in December because she's a rock star at school. And I was going to graduate in the spring because I was eh, at school. And, uh, and, it, and it seemed like it was going to work out pretty good. The only catch was I needed to transfer schools um, so that I could start there in January and finish at a different school for a semester, which didn't seem like that big of a deal. Like the point of school was so that I could be doing this. So I should be doing this, right? And so things are going really well. And, and, and it felt great, and, and I interviewed, and they said, man, we think you're the guy. And so I started this internship with them where I would kind of work with a bunch of volunteers over FaceTime uh, you know, every, every week. And then I would um, go up once a month and either teach or lead an event or you know, whatever, just, you know, as much as you can do from so many hours away. And, and then just seemingly out of nowhere around like October... The, the job just kind of fell through. They kind of pulled back the offer that they had, and it just wasn't a realistic opportunity anymore. It, it seemed like more work than, than benefit to move, you know, me and my not-yet-wife out to this place where we didn't have any family, we didn't have any connection, and for just not a lot of, you know, we just didn't, just wasn't going to work out. And that put me in a really weird place. I, uh, I really struggled for a while. You guys going to play something? Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I just like it when you look at me up here. Um, so it took me to this really weird place where I just, 
I just didn't want anything to do with church. I definitely didn't want to work in one. And it wasn't just, I didn't just feel like burned by one church. Like I felt like the church had let me down. And I I just, I just wasn't having any of it. Like I was, I was like, I'll just work at UPS. I don't even care. Which actually sounded horrible to me. And I I didn't want to do it all. And, and I got really, really angry at God. Has anybody been angry at God before? You know, I was thinking about this earlier. A lot of people say you shouldn't get married until you've had a fight. I don't know if you're a Christian until you've yelled at God. <laughs> and, and don't take that as doctrinal. I was, I was just kidding. Um, and, and I was so mad. I was like, God, why would you do this to me? Why would you let me down? I've worked so hard for this. I've sacrificed so much. I gave up time with friends. I gave up doing fun stuff. I, I, I let my homework suffer. That probably wasn't true, but it felt like a good thing to kind of throw at the wall when you're just looking for something to stick. And because uh, I wasn't going to do great either way um, on my homework. But I was, I was just so angry. And God, kind of being God, let me throw my fit. And, and he just kind of began to talk to me and kind of walk me through the last couple years of my life. And, and he showed me, he kind of pointed out, hey, Jordan, you remember that first job that you got at, at that church that you had no business working in? Yeah, I kind of set that up for you. And, and he, he reminded me that that came through some really random connection where someone that I knew was somehow accidentally dating one of the pastors on staff at this church and was like, hey, can you get this kid an internship? And that's how I ended up there. And he said, and you showed up and you worked hard, but I got you that job. And then from there, remember that other job that you went to that you're so proud of? Yeah, you got that because of the youth pastor I put in your life that cared so much about you that he was going to give you that job and he wanted to see you do well. So you're welcome for that too. And, and God isn't this sassy, I just kind of add it. Um, and, and, then, and then he said, and you remember that other job? That, that you got, that third one that you were there for a year? Yeah, remember how you found that one? You're, you're not yet roommate's fiance that put you guys together as roommates? Said, hey, Tyler, why don't you tell this church about Jordan and maybe they can set him up with an internship for the next year? Again, didn't even earn it. They said, and remember that job that you're so angry about that you're asking me, why did you let this happen to me? And he said, yeah, that came through another connection that I put in your life. Actually, through Wilson, in fact. Um, and, and that just kind of like, that, this is like wrecked me. It like put me in a weird place because I was using God. I was using the calling he'd given me. I, I was using the gifts that he'd put in my life to, to achieve job security. And it, I mean, it was a good cause, like... I think it's okay to have job security and to to live out your calling. But that, honestly, that became my God. More than anything, I wanted to know that my wife was going to be going to be covered, that I was going to have a job and be able to provide, and 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 that I was I wasn't going to be a failure. And that was my driving force. And, and it, I had to come to a place where I said, God, I don't care. If I ever work in ministry again, I don't care if I ever get to teach students. I don't care if I work as a UDF night manager for the rest of my life. 
as long as I have you. And that's a hard thing to say. Because that, that, if that happened, that would literally mean everything I did for the last four years was nothing. Literally worthless. And, and I had to come to that point. And, and God being God and as funny as he is, um, that November, after I had kind of lost the job, I was, I was worshiping at a house group one night and I felt like he said, you're going to have a job in May. I was like, all right, we'll see. And at that point, I couldn't get a job anywhere. I was applying at Skyline, Starbucks at like the 4 a.m. shift. I was applying at UPS. Like I, I put in 20 applications and literally heard back from nobody. And I was freaking out. So I was like, dude, anything in May will be great. Because that was right when, that was about a month after we were supposed to be married. And, and after I kind of came to this place where, God, I don't care if I ever do ministry again, a job opens up here at the church I was attending. I was like, what? You know what day I started here? May 1st. It was, I was just blown away. And it, and I just want to say like, man, we need to go after God just because he's God. Because there is nothing more important that we could ever do than just know God. Because he is chasing after you. He's been chasing after you since day one. And he wants to know you more. And you might be saying, man, you're preaching to the choir. I, I know, but I, he wants to know you more than that. I think the deeper you go in relationship with God, the more you realize there is no bottom. It gets deeper. There's no such thing as spiritually, relationally peaking with God. There is always more, and we are never going to get to the end of it until we have eternity with him. And so I just want to encourage you, whatever your next step is into intimacy, maybe it's just starting out and I'm going to you know, get up 10 minutes early and pray with God every morning. And I'm going to say, God, I just want to give you my day. Great place to start. If it's reading the verse of the day on the YouVersion Bible app, go for it. That's fantastic. But whatever that next step is, some of you are like, dude, I already pray for three hours a day and I'm so intimate. And you know, maybe it's time to start stepping out even a little bit more than that, taking some risks going out and praying for people. If you want to see more miracles happen in your life and and happening through you, it seems like anybody that's successful in any kind of healing ministry or anything like that says, if you quit trying before you've prayed for 500 people, you haven't even started. And I think that is, that is, that's pursuit. That is intimacy saying, God, I know you promised this and I know you have this for me. So let's go get it. Because I'll tell you what, this world, our city, our, our schools, our, wherever you're from, like it, it needs Christians that are on fire with intimacy with God. It needs Christians who know God so well that we just can't help but be like him. And that we can't help but talk about him everywhere we go. I, you guys agree with that? Yeah. All right. Let's stand up. Just put your hands out. Yeah, Lord, we want that intimacy. Just release that fresh passion. Fresh passion for Jesus. 
where he is it, just like Jordan's been saying, he is it. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Would you be the one that fills us with the passion and the hunger? Right now, I just sense God's releasing hunger into people. Hunger is a gift. I release a holy hunger right now in Jesus' name. Hunger for God. I just really sense that there's some people here who, as you heard Jordan's message, you have felt like a health, like a kind of conviction, like, man, I want to be like that again. Like, I've had that, or maybe I've never had that, but I want that type of pursuit in my life of Jesus. If that's you, just come down to the front right now. If as you were listening to Jordan's message, that was stirring in you, just come down front. Kind of come quickly. Come down to the front. Just respond. If that's you, respond. Don't wait, don't pause, don't think, just come. Yeah, keep trying to come as far forward as you can so the more people can feel in behind you. There's more people that need to come, so don't hesitate. Sockham students unleash you guys to begin to minister to the people that came down front. If you're a Sockham student, you came down front, just keep receiving. But Holy Spirit, stir up. Well, first of all, I break shame off you guys in Jesus' name. I just feel like God is saying to everybody, be nicer to yourself. A lot of us talk mean to ourselves, and He's saying, be nicer to yourself. I break shame off of you right now about quiet times. Some of you guys have, have like a wound about memorizing scripture or about, about doing this thing where you spend time with the Lord. I just say, be healed right now in Jesus' name. No shame. Break shame right now in Jesus' name. Now, Holy Spirit, come. Come, fill them fresh. Fill them, Lord. name. Feel free to tap in here, Sockham students. There's lots of people that need prophetic words up here, that need to just have a hand laid on them. Sockham students, come around to the front to get to these people up here. You can even walk like in front of the stage if you need to, if you want to.
there's any Sockham students or Sockham graduates who aren't up here, if you guys go to that back corner, I'm going to say if anybody needs healing prayer, head to that back corner. If you need prayer for healing, for anything in your body, God wants to heal you. and He's going to give you breakthrough tonight. We really believe it. We've been learning some awesome stuff about healing. We want to put it to practice. So just back here in this back corner right here, there's a ton of people who are really trained and able to pray. If you have any pain in your body, anything going on that you'd like prayer for, please head back to that corner and they're going to pray for you. If you didn't come up front to, to respond to that altar call, but you just like some prayer for something, anything at all, head back to that corner and they're going to minister to you, okay? Okay.